listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 18 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where we have decided to bring back people that haven't been on the show for a long time since Alex was getting bored of the show. Okay, he wasn't actually getting bored of the show, but he specifically asked to be let go for one night. So, for the first time in probably, oh God, I don't know, six months maybe, Dave Tucker's on the program. Dave, why have you been such a stranger? Uh, I don't know. Life gets in the way sometimes. (laughs) Six months? It was, I don't know, man. Six months. I mean, I get, I get that Maryland football is a painful thing to talk about, but and I know you've also taken over the site since you were last on the show. But six months. Hey, man. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Oh, life, life is a funny thing. And joining us after he had just made the trip out to Iowa City, like yours truly, although he thinks Moline, Illinois, is different. Oh, it's different anyway. Uh, Todd Carton is here. Hello, Todd. How did you? Uh, what did you think of Iowa City? Well, Iowa City was just fabulous, Matt, I, I tell you. And I think Dave hasn't been around because he's such a diva. Oh, okay. Dave, but, you were, uh, your response? You're hilarious, Todd. You know that? I, <laughs> the Maryland Athletic Department. Todd's only so. saying that because I owe him a lot of uh, Peruvian chicken. So uh, dude, That sounds right. delicious. That sounds delicious, actually. I'd like some. Uh, actually, actually, you know, I really had a great time in Iowa City. I saw three different uh, sports, and, and and I thought that the Hawkeyes fans were generally just great. And two of those sports actually won. Two of those sports actually won, volleyball and field hockey. And they both made it much more interesting than it probably should have been. As Maryland football did. That score was not indicative of that game. But, uh, Todd, uh, just quickly on the uh, volleyball and field hockey, because we don't talk about them enough on this show. I wish we talked about them more. Uh just tell them a little about the game. Field hockey just won the Big Ten championship again. Well, field hockey had already won at least a share of the Big Ten championship when they beat Indiana last week. Uh, this was just to determine whether they would have the outright championship or um, share the championship with Michigan. Uh, the game was completely crazy. Iowa outplayed Maryland for 70 minutes. They were tied. It went into double overtime. In the first overtime, Maryland's goalie faced two Iowa attackers by herself and made a ridiculously good play to send it to a second overtime. And Maryland finally scored and and edged it out. Um, On the volleyball side, real fast, uh, you know, they got their second Big Ten win. They beat a team that was really pretty good, not as bad as their record, and, um, you know, came away feeling pretty good about themselves and then got brought down to earth the next night in Nebraska. Well, Nebraska's apparently much better, so. Yeah, Nebraska's a top 10 team, and, and they just destroyed Maryland. It was really kind of, uh, I didn't see any of that match. I was driving back from Iowa City. What was your decision? Why did you do that? Well, it was just because it was such a last-minute kind of thing, I, I sort of looked at the schedule and, you know, kind of on Monday or Tuesday said, Oh, let me let me try this. And 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 maybe because I'm an old guy and wanted to sort of recapture my uh, wild college road trip day. <laughs> okay. Uh, now to get to what you all really want to hear about, not that non-revs aren't fun. You want to hear about football. I was at the game. 
calling the game for a WMUC in a ticket hut. There will be a story about that at some point going up on the website of all the things that went wrong. But uh, Iowa City, that's a great place to go. And the stadium is kind of cool. I mean, if you can imagine a hospital just looking down at the stadium. So if you had a good room in the hospital, you could actually watch the game, an Iowa game from your room, which is kind of fascinating. Talking yeah, about the oh, – well, My seats were pretty close to the hospital. You were, you, know, you were on the other side of the stadium. I was in this corner by the student section and the band. Uh, yeah. But it was a good stadium. Uh, it was a bit cold, rainy, a bit, uh, a little rainy too, but didn't really – not like the rain was going to help Maryland at all. Uh, the game, it went basically as you expected, although losing by 16 was kind of a misnomer. Well, at least in the first half it was a misnomer because Maryland was awful. That was – I mean, at least against Ohio State they were mildly competitive, but that was probably their worst – might be their worst half of football of the season, Dave, am I right? It's certainly up there. It was. Um, There's a lot of halves to choose from. I understand. Yeah, there are a lot of halves to choose from. But like you said, the score wasn't really indicative of how much Iowa was completely dominating that game. And if it wasn't for that, will likely hundred yard um, return, which is really more than a hundred yards. I don't know why college football doesn't. More like a hundred and eight. Yeah. Um, you know, without that, it's even further the margin is even further and like you said the the first half is just i mean it was throw your hands up frustrating maryland football which has been the case most of the season well interesting that you say that because because i thought the second half maryland came out and and played really hard and yet still wound up with throw your hands up maryland football with interceptions and whatever else I mean, what can you? Does anybody understand why Maryland punted on those last two drives when it seemed like they still had a chance to at least make it interesting? I mean, you're within two, you know, two possessions technically. So, I I don't know. Um, I'm, I mean, it's I, certainly not likely that they would win the game. But if you're punting the ball away, you are essentially conceding the game. So. You know, I, I don't I don't understand that. I don't know if anyone had an opportunity to ask Mike Loxley about that. But, you know, you, you have a shot, no matter how remote it is, if you go for it there. If you punt it, then you have no opportunity at all. I think what was a stab at this and, and say that, A, I think that Loxley didn't have a lot of confidence in, in uh, Perry Hill's ability to – complete a four-yard pass uh, on that on that first one. And the the defense, defense was actually, you know, they, they held Iowa to about three yards, it seemed like, for the for the second half. Yeah, uh, and but, but the second one, but then the second one is even more inexcusable. I don't care if you're back to picture three. I mean, I could get it going doing it once, but twice? Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just throwing in that sort of something out there that seemed to make a little sense to me. I mean, Perry Hills wasn't very good, let's be honest. But Maryland in the second half, they still scored 15 points. And if Perry Hills didn't throw two boneheaded interceptions and they get a delay game, I mean, these are big mistakes, I grant you, but two boneheaded interceptions, one was an arm punt, the other was a terrible, terrible decision, and then a delay a game on a, what was it, a fourth and six inside Iowa territory? Yeah. You know, that game, again, Iowa only outgained Maryland by 57 yards. Iowa, I mean, aside, I mean, it was Maryland mistakes that essentially gave them the game, and they scored their field goal in the second half off an onside kick that didn't work. 
Iowa was not great in the second half of that game. And Maryland honestly could have been closer than that if they had smoothed some things out, which by no means was indicative of how they played in the first half. But I find it interesting that once again, Maryland loses a game by less than they really should have. Maybe it's a Perry Hills trend. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least it feels like a Perry Hills trend. Maybe, you know, I mean, I'm just, I, I sit and I'm just aghast at that stat of like, you know, one out of every 10 pass attempts or whatever it is that get that, that's intercepted, ends in an interception. It's just, I can't even wrap my mind around how bad that is. But not like they have any choice. Well, what's weird is so many of these interceptions are not, it's not like someone's tipping the ball at the line or it's bouncing off a receiver's hands. It's not like they're dumb luck interceptions. So many of them are, the ball should not have been thrown where it was thrown or how it was thrown. I think yeah, that's yeah. The, the one what that, is so frustrating. The one that Matt referred to was the, the arm pun. I don't know. Perry Hill, he was back there. The, the offensive line did a phenomenal job on that. He was back there, no pressure. He had time to go to Subway and order a sandwich, and he threw that ball up into double coverage. Right, DeAndre Lane was double covered. The second one, he had a check down option on the other side of the field that was open. Wouldn't have gone for many yards, but Maryland's offense doesn't go for many yards. And he says he throws it into double coverage where Desmond King was. And for good reason, you don't throw at Desmond King. And Perry Hills decided to do that. And that was in the red zone, too, when Maryland was driving. And you could start to feel the stadium go, uh, uh-oh. The stadium was starting to get a little nervous. It was like, oh, is Iowa going to do this again? And Maryland was losing by 17 at that point which was stunning to hear a stadium as nervous as that one was up 17. It felt really weird. Dave, I don't know if that came through on TV. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you, I'm sure you guys could obviously experience that a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure they were nervous. They, they've been in so many close games this season. I think they, their last three of their last five or so have been decided by not very many points. So, you can understand why they'd be somewhat nervous, but again, it's not like Maryland is Oregon when it comes to offense. Well, they yeah. try to be like, or try to look like Oregon at least. Yeah, just, just kind of uh, the, the feeling feeling was, is Iowa going to Clemson? <laughs> I think some Iowa fans were probably uh, believing that. I, I bet that that was the case. In the in the sense of Clemson as a verb, you know. Yeah, we know, we know. So I, the question that people were asking me and asking openly in Iowa is, are they going to go undefeated? Now, the rest of the teams they play stink. So they probably will by virtue of Iowa is just better than all of them. Uh, but their, their schedule is pretty hilarious. Although I that wouldn't preclude them from having a chance against whoever wins the East. They were impressive. Their defense was impressive for most of the game, whether that's Maryland or whether that's Iowa. It can be left up to you. So as I'm flying home on Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, I see a tweet from Don Marcus. And he suggests that if Mark Richt is fired at Georgia, which is possible, they got housed by Florida in the rivalry game, also on Halloween. The former Georgia AD is now Maryland's assistant AD. Put two and two together, and you have a bona fide rumor. So I'll ask Dave, since we were talking about this a lot in our own comments. Mark Richt at Maryland. Now, this presupposes that he gets fired, which is a possibility is Mark Richt at Maryland the best case scenario I mean I think it might be the best case somewhat realistic scenario there's probably a couple other coaches that 
would be better, but they're completely pie in the sky, never going to happen coaches. I mean, this is certainly more plausible than something like Chip Kelly ending up at Maryland or another really top name coach that's going to end up at a program like USC. Uh, he could, I mean, if he does get dismissed from Georgia, could he end up here with the ties that they have in Maryland's athletic department? Maybe. Does he want to take a year off? Is he going to be considered for higher profile jobs? I think that's going to have to play out. But like I said, I think it's a more realistic scenario. And I think it would be a great scenario for Maryland. I mean, you're talking about someone that went 141 and 51 at Georgia in the SEC, which is obviously not a easy conference to win games in and to have as many 10 win seasons as he did. If you could bring anything close to that to Maryland, it would be a fantastic boost for this program. We've been at writing all of the pieces, uh, previewing coaches and possible coaching candidates. Uh, we haven't since you haven't been on in a while, haven't asked you what you think is the best hope for Maryland or the best option. Alex, Pete, uh, a lot of us have said our piece. Uh, you get a chance now to say yours. I, don't, I really think that, you know, Rick could be that that best case scenario. I mean, it's in terms of balancing a, a realistic possibility of what he would bring to Maryland. I think, you know, that's a he's a fantastic candidate. He's been an excellent recruiter while at Georgia. Um, I think he would bring a lot of respect with him in terms of the amount of games that he's won. He had exciting offenses when he's been an offensive coordinator at Florida state and other places. And I just think that overall you're, you're bringing in somebody who has relevant head coaching experience, who has exciting offensive potential, who is a great recruiter. And I think finding someone with all those qualifications and someone that's also had a lot of head coaching experience and a really tough conference, it's kind of hard to beat someone with all those credentials. Let's suppose then that Mark Rick does not get fired because it is possible. We've heard the Mark Rick is getting fired at Georgia rumors. I think every year for the last oh, four or five years. So this isn't new, although the rumors are louder this time. If he doesn't get fired, who are some of the options that you would like to see? Um, there's a lot of different options out there. I think it really depends on what you're looking for. Cause I think there's a lot of coordinators out there who would bring exciting offenses or have a lot of recruiting ability, but they might not have that head coaching experience, but someone whose name has also surfaced very recently is, um, JMU's Everett Withers. Withers. Um, he's done a lot with that program. He brings that really exciting offensive potential that I think that uh, Maryland fans really want to see. It's something that Kevin Anderson spoke about after Randy Etzel's dismissal. Um, you're talking about someone who has ties to the area locally and who can probably be a great recruiter as well. So I think he's another person who might be a good fit at Maryland and is a realistic possibility as well. You don't think the jump from FCS to FBS and the Big Ten East is going to be a bit of a bridge too far, don't you? Don't you think his next best move is to take a job like, ooh, North Texas, lower-end FBS, and then go from there? I, it could be. I mean, Maryland has to balance a couple different things because that's something that, 
people talked about a lot with Etzel because Etzel, Maryland wanted a program builder with Etzel. They wanted to start over fresh from the Ralph Regan era. And Etzel demonstrated that he could take UConn up to this level and took them to a BCS game and everyone thought that would be great. So you're looking at a kind of similar situation with him there and Maryland would be taking a risk. But, you know, I'd argue that Maryland has to take a risk to some extent because I don't know if they're going to be able to get some of the bigger name candidates that are going to be out there. And there's a number of reasons for that, but one of them is also how much money Maryland is willing to pay some of these coaches. Todd, if you had a word to pick whatever head coach you wanted, who would you like to see? You've read a lot of the names, and now you've heard our discussion on Mark Richt. Who would you like to see? I, I have, and and I w- I'll start by saying that, that I'm just kind of a little wary, as you seem to be, of the FCS to uh, FBS leap. That- it's, it's not just FCS to FBS. It's FCS to Power 5. I F- can understand F- the FBS, uh, FCS to Group of 5, that, that I understand, but this is FCS to Big Ten East. That's a culture shock. Right, and, and you know, I mean, Maryland did that once uh, with a guy named Mark Duffner, who had a much better, more impressive record than uh, Withers had. Mark Duffner was like 60-3 and three or something like that at Holy Cross. And, um, yeah, didn't win a lot of games at Maryland. Uh <laughs> As far as as who who I'd like to see at least considered, and I and this is this is again somebody I'm not sure Maryland has a great shot at getting, and may guy may or not may not be interested. And I've actually written the story about this guy that's going to publish in a week and a half or so in the uh, coaching series, and it's an, it's one of the names that hasn't been on the list. Uh, because of his youth and inexperience, he's a he's a bit of a risk. But I'd sure like him to talk to Kendall Bryles. Hmm. That that is that is a risk. That would be definitely a risk. Uh, D- D- Dave, would you are you in favor of hiring, say, the Matt Campbells, those kind of coaches? You know, the f- exciting offenses from the Mac. Because I have to be honest, I think Justin Fuente is going to get a better job than the Maryland job, the way Memphis is playing, and. We'll get to this in a second, but every week more jobs open up, and we're gonna—I want to get to a question about that. But are you in favor of hiring the Mac American coach du jour and trying that out? Because plenty of schools have tried it and it hasn't worked, and for some it has. I mean, it's it's really a, a tough question to think about. Um, I think with like the, with a lot of these candidates, there is some sort of inherent risk involved, um, whether that's a lack of head coaching experience, whether it's a lack of coaching in a big time conference like the Big Ten and specifically the Big Ten East. So Maryland really has to, you know, they really have to do a good job this time. They have to make that right hire and they better be darn sure that they're making the right hire. Um, You know, there are several candidates out there that I think would be, really, really good, but I don't know, again, if Maryland's going to be in play as a possible landing spot. I mean, Tom Herman is a fantastic candidate um, right now as Houston's head coach, but is he going to want to come to Maryland and leave there, or is he going to want to wait for a 
you know, even bigger job, or is he going to be considered for some of the other open jobs? I mean, Maryland picked a very unfortunate year to be replacing their head football coach. There's a number of really, really good jobs out there. And, you know, it's really going to come down to how are other people viewing the Maryland program and what is Maryland going to look for above all as a qualification for bringing a new head coach into College Park? I believe there are now, I think... 10 FBS openings, including Maryland. I could be wrong, but the number is at least eight. It's pro- I think it might be it might be nine or ten. It's somewhere in that ballpark. Now that here here are the jobs that are open: USC, Miami, South Carolina, Virginia Tech. Those are all above Maryland. Then you have also Illinois. Presumably, other schools like the Rutgers and the Virginias of the world are going to have open jobs. And then you also have the schools that are going to lose coaches. So Maryland is going to be involved in this huge shuffle. And it's a matter of where they fit into this grander picture. And uh, Dave, where do you think Maryland's job fits into this grander picture? We've heard about Under Armour, the new facilities. You've got great recruits that are coming here regardless of who the coach is. Dwayne Haskins, Tino Ellis, and quite possibly Trayvon Diggs, who's uh, going to announce his, uh, where he's going to play next Saturday. Where does Maryland fit in? Because there are plenty of positives about this job that might not exist at, say, a Miami who might not be even willing to pay as much as a Maryland would. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic question to consider, and I think it's something that's going to get answered in the coming months. I Clearly, I think USC is your number one open job right now. I don't think many people are going to debate that. Um, after that, I think South Carolina is up there. Um, A lot of people consider Miami up there, but Miami might not be as attractive as some people think because there's been talks that their athletic department doesn't really have the financial resources that the rest of the university itself does. But Miami is actually a private school, so there's no public record releases for what their athletic department financials are. But if they're not willing to pay as much money as some of these guys are going to command, then, you know, how valuable is that Miami job? You also, with that school, have uh, a stadium that's, you know, miles away from campus. 30 plus. Um, 30 plus. Um, And, uh, you know, people have this image of Miami being the U again, and it's going to be hard for the school to really get back to what they once had when they had this, completely dominant program like that. And there's a number of factors that go into that. So where my, where Maryland ranks in relation to Miami, they're, they're probably behind Miami, but I think Maryland's closer to Miami than some people think about. I think what what plane are they on with reference to say Virginia tech, who's going to not have Frank Beamer as a retiring coach, replacing a legend is always difficult. And specifically us at the other USC, South Carolina, because You can make an argument that Maryland is at or just right below, just depending on the conference. Maryland has, and the the key thing here, Maryland has the backing of Under Armour. And that is influential in its own way, not just for the financial reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think that Under Armour, you know, Maryland being Under Armour's flagship school, having the potential for Under Armour to transform Maryland the way that... um, 
Nike did for Oregon is something that's got to be extremely attractive. Having that new indoor facility coming online in a couple of years is going to be an extremely attractive thing for a coach because that's going to help you so much with selling recruits on going to your school. Uh, talking about South Carolina, though, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize how much Steve Spurrier did for that program. Um, I think it's a, a fantastic program. It's got more football history than Maryland does, but you know, is the fact that Maryland has that Under Armour support going to lift the profile of the school and the how desirable it is to some of these coaches? Um, again, though, it's going to go back to who each of these schools are considering and what kind of person they want to bring in there. I don't know if they're going to be competing for the same people or not. And I think that's another interesting thing that's going to play out in the coming months. And we've got more uh, jobs to open up a couple. Uh, Todd, you want something? No, I, I, I have a, a kind of a question, you know, about competing for jobs. You know, certainly without question, Southern Cal is the cachet and name job from history and storied program and so on. But how much of Pat Hayden, I think, is really on a hot seat out there how much do you think that will influence the type of coach that he goes after that me that might say, well, Maryland's not even going to be in the in the same league with those guys? I think when you look at that, USC is at the top, and they essentially will set up a domino effect. If you watch soccer and you look at the transfer season, this is a bit of an odd comparison, but bear with me for a second. Soccer fans will know what I'm on about. The big transfer has to happen first before all the other ones happen behind it. So it kind of seems to me that USC is going to have to hire a coach before the rest of the dominoes fall. Let's say USC hires Justin Fuente. That changes the way every program below USC goes after coach. If USC hires Kyle Whittingham, that changes it completely. If USC, say, hires Jack Del Rio, I don't know, again, that changes the coaching outlook. So there might be the, the domino effect, I think, is going to be there. And USC is probably the first domino to fall. And Maryland fans have to watch all of these other coaching searches above them because it will affect how the Terps go about their own search. Dave? No, I, I completely agree. The There's going to be a market that's set up. It's like when that first free agent signs and the baseball offseason sets the market for everyone else, you're looking at the same thing here. You know, USC is probably going to be that first domino that's going to fall unless – for some reason, Maryland goes after somebody who is not currently coaching or gets fired from somewhere else. Um, but I can't imagine them making a hire until after the season because I think there's too many people that are currently coaching that they're going to want to talk to that they can't until that respective school season is over. I don't think we see a hire until mid-January, personally. I think they have to wait until after the bowl season ends. Because it, it's always messy if you're going to say, well, we're going to hire Matt Campbell and Toledo's in a bowl game. You know, that, that never ends well. And I think the way Maryland did it last time with Randy Edsel was a bit acrimonious. So I don't, I don't think we see the Terps doing that again. Moving on from coaching quickly, previewing homecoming against Wisconsin. Wisconsin just trucked Rutgers. They're a very good team that has two losses to Iowa and Alabama. They, even though it's on the road, Maryland's probably going to get housed. <laughs> Right, Dave? Oh, I mean, <laughs> trend is your friend. And the trend is that Maryland has not been very good this season. Um, 
Maryland, as long as Maryland's turning the ball over, then they're not going to win very many games, and those games aren't going to be as competitive. I mean, I think you have seen more competitiveness out of this team in recent weeks. I mean, I think they really did a lot in that Ohio State game, and they did, you know, you're seeing a lot more effort, I think, to some extent. Um, and, you know, but what what can you do this is a there's a reoccurring problem here and it's not something that's easily fixed and when you're going against this gauntlet of teams in the big 10 conference then there's not much that you can do about it todd i'm i'm gonna gonna hop in and, and agree with uh dave and and with you you know i was at a, a men's soccer game uh, last week and and uh you know my question was why do you schedule Wisconsin as your homecoming game? I don't think Maryland was going to have many prospects to beat Wisconsin before the season started, and you try to schedule your homecoming as a team you think you have a chance to beat. Um, and and since the as the season has developed, I just don't think that there's a much of a chance at, at all. And as Dave pointed out, you're not you're not going to cure the interception itis. Uh, in a week of practice <laughs> you're not although Maryland's schedule this year wasn't really advantageous for homecoming because the game you probably would have had Penn State was in Baltimore and you can't have homecoming not actually at home so next year Maryland has plenty of games in October Minnesota will probably end up being homecoming next year uh, that's a winnable game and it's not Michigan State so if you're curious about that uh, we can move on and if Maryland loses they will not be eligible for a bowl game even though there are probably going to be five and seven teams that make bowl games this year moving swiftly on to basketball we're going to do our full preview next week but they play a, an exhibition I think it's what is it southeast New Hampshire state or something ridiculous like that is that right uh I think that's who it is it's southern New Hampshire southern New Hampshire I'll say so I was a little bit off in my directions but uh I don't know the what we schools are all the same anyway. Uh, not quite. No. Northwestern State, Northwestern are very, very different schools. Uh, so what are we going to learn from this game if we learn anything at all? Maryland apparently played a scrimmage against Villanova, closed door scrimmage, and lost. Maryland's going to win this game by a bajillion. Uh, but what are we going to take? What are we going to learn from this game, Dave? <laughs> if Probably we're not learn much. Anything, <laughs> I mean. I think it'll give you an opportunity to see some of the players that people have been talking about a lot over the past you know, several weeks and several months. Um, I'll be really interesting to see how Robert Carter does because so many people are talking about him and how just incredible he's looked. Um, what's Melo Trimble look like? How much growth has he had in the past couple months? You know, I don't know how much of this you're going to see in an exhibition game against southern new hampshire but it's certainly possible that you'll see these things it'll be curious to see who the starting five is um a lot of people assume it's going to be uh diamond stone at center but there's talk that demonte dodd could be there and will eventually yield that spot to stone in the you know as the season progresses so i mean those are some of the things I'll watch out for, how much of it, you know, is really going to be a factor. I don't know how much can you take from these, you know, exhibition games. I don't know um, how much you can take from games against cupcakes. Too. Right. And most of Maryland's out of conference schedule is cupcakes aside from basically three games. So uh, taught women's basketball also started and they played an amazing a school with an amazing name, didn't they? Yes, uh, they, they opened their exhibition season and it's the second time they played them in the last few years. But uh, a school named Goldie Beacom. They're in, it's in Delaware. 
Um, I've and, never and, heard of them before in my life. Yeah, I, I don't think many of us have. And uh, maybe they, there's they, a reason for it. Well, Maryland, Maryland squeaked out a 96 point win in in that exhibition. Oh, it was a close one, right down to the wire. <laughs> yeah, I think I think everybody in the uh, on the roster scored in double figures. It seems like. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you, you know that game. That game was Saturday, so I was actually otherwise occupied and didn't see it. I think we all were. And don't they have another exhibition game before their full season begins? Yes, they they have an, another one coming up uh, Wednesday night against IUP. That's Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I've at least heard of them before. Ah, uh, well. There you go. <laughs> and isn't it kind of cool that we have two basketball teams that could both win national championships this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, how can you not be excited for that? You know, I mean, the, the top 10 teams and and it looks like they're both coaches have built. Well, Brenda's clearly built a program and it looks like uh, Mark Turgeon's on his way to doing the same. What is uh, women's basketball ranked? Uh, six in in the preseason poll, and and I think that's that's pretty legitimate. Um, they're behind, of course, Connecticut, Notre Dame, South Carolina, who were the other Final Four teams last year. Also, um, Baylor and uh, Tennessee, and Tennessee gets a, a tremendous player back who was injured all of last year, and and they should be, and Maryland just edged them in the Elite Eight. So I think that's pretty legitimate given the loss of Lexi Brown and the, the open question at point guard for Maryland until people actually see them play. And Dave, AP poll came out. It's the same as the coaches poll. Maryland is third. I think it's behind, well, in the coaches, it's behind Kentucky and North Carolina, and I think it's probably the same in the AP poll. Yeah, uh, AP pool, Carolina was one, Kentucky yeah, was I, two. I, yeah, I figured that. Maryland was three. Um, yeah, Maryland's never started number one in the AP pool. There was a shot that it could happen this year. They received the second most first place votes, but overall they were still behind Kentucky in terms of the total points that they used to calculate the rankings in the AP poll. So, Whatever that yeah. means because Maryland plays North Carolina. So Right, yeah, I mean – you know, honestly, between the top five teams or so, I think you can make an argument for any of them being number one. So I honestly, I think it's better that they're not starting at number one because they get when to you're go there, into a game against North Carolina as an underdog. <laughs> right. But when you start as number one, you're you're always the team that's, you know, constantly being hunted and under a lot of pressure. So I think starting not at number one can be somewhat beneficial. I can tell you we will have our basketball preview podcast next week. We may have another one as well, depending on how the Wisconsin game goes. I'm not going to commit to that for sure, but if Maryland football surprises against the Badgers, then maybe we have two podcasts next week. But soon, ladies and gentlemen, soon basketball begins and all of our sorrows will be washed away, at least temporarily. Thank you to both of you for coming on. Dave, how was your first appearance back on the podcast in a millennium? Uh, as enjoyable as I could have possibly imagined. Well, that's good. Todd, it's been a while for you, too, hasn't it? Yeah, we, we did the sort of preseason non-revs, and that was, I think, my last visit, which has probably been a couple of months. That's been three months, so you're both back. And hopefully we will have you in the rotation during basketball season, although, well, we'll have you on, Todd, especially to talk about non-revs. And Dave, well, you kind of co-run the site, so I have to get you on more than <laughs> I have been getting you on. I feel kind of guilty about that. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's not your fault. Uh, well, whatever you say. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you enjoyed the the uh, return of some old stalwarts on the show. We will be back next week, maybe twice, maybe with some special folks on the show. It's a special basketball season, so we have to make the podcast actually special. But of course, no turks.